Okay, let's roll back. Do you want to talk about anything else, Michael, regarding pool? You know, there's so many things about pool that I could talk about that I think this is enough for today. Yeah, that was golden. I love I it. I like simplicity and I like it to be very couples. clean. All acted very simple. The matching couples. Oh my lord, I hate the matching couples. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm attracted to normal looking women. Right, but that's not accurate. You have weird taste. Those are all things that most of us could really improve on. It's gonna, it's gonna vary wildly if anyone listens at all. That's what I call interesting. No real substance? That's super interesting. Fascinating almost. Welcome to While We're on the Subject, where we talk about what we talk about. Now, here's the show. Hey, John. Hi, Mike. So, what's on your mind this week? I wanted to start the show out with a little bit of follow-up on our conversation where we talked about units of measure. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Mm -hmm. number systems, and then the week following, we talked about different unit systems and how I would simplify some unit systems. And I had talked about the three fundamental kind of units, and I got this long lecture from uh, somebody who contacted me about (laughs) it recently, (laughs) who essentially was just talking me through some of the complexities in it and essentially i still stand by my entire concept like i think right. we can absolutely simplify things and make things dramatically dramatically better than they are but there are more than the three fundamental units that i described and uh-huh. i just thought i'd clarify that a little bit okay so the fourth one that i had forgotten that i tried to remember was temperature right so we had time length and mass were the three that i listed And those are kind of the three core ones in my mind. I had forgotten temperature, which should be pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. So that one's clear. But there are a couple others, which I'm still not fully convinced of this. It was explained. It made sense. But essentially, there are two others, which are electric current and luminous intensity, right? So how bright something is. Okay. I have to review some of my notes on electricity because i'm i'm convinced like most things in electricity can be defined by those fundamental units i guess you would need amps in addition to the other ones for electric current luminosity absolutely nothing defines brightness but right (laughs) fine like that's that's not exactly a thing we need to measure that much like great wonderful for astronomy and flashlights we can still have to measure hey astronomy and flashlights people use flashlights all the time it matters counts yeah yeah, you know. I'm on person X's side. Why not? Like, yeah. I will accept those have to be included. But I still say for all of those other things, like simplifying it down and using a few consistent measures to show how things relate to each other, to show how to convert things automatically and intuitively, it would be a huge step forward. Yes, a huge step forward towards. Go ahead, John. Towards a better, cleaner, more organized world with more easily learned sciences. There is one point that I wanted to make that I forgot, or I didn't forget, but I didn't think about making in our last conversation. The reason that Mm -hmm. this is so important is because when you're learning science. Right. Yes, I learned it. Right. Of course you did. Science is difficult for a lot of people. That's true. Like, it's it's not the easiest subject. tedious. A lot of information. Sometimes, yeah. And, and the reason, or one of the reasons that science is difficult is people have to use math. Math is already a difficult mm-hmm. subject for a lot of people. Plus, people have to learn all of these new, somewhat difficult, sometimes counterintuitive concepts. That is what makes any subject kind of difficult. Right. And then on top of that, people have to learn a bunch of terminology and essentially learn an entire language. Mm. I mean, jargon exists for a reason. Well, but like, does it? 
like think about electricity again to go back to electricity as we talked about in our first conversation okay you have watts you have amps you have ohms if you learn what the concept of resistance is in electricity that is a right. useful concept that you have to learn but then you have to memorize okay not only is this resistance and i have to remember what that is but right. you use ohms to measure this and how does resistance relate to other things again and how does ohms relate to volts and how does volts relate to amps and all of those relationships you have to learn uh-huh. but not only do you have to learn the conceptual relationships but you have to remember and translate between the unit relationships and it's just like that is that's fair. that is not useful like that's a waste of time and energy for a student that's already struggling to learn this stuff the speed at which they can learn it is dramatically slowed by all of this extra convolution but all those things exist with the people in mind who are expert at it no one's all like oh i'm gonna create all these names and break it down into all these other things for students they're just like oh this just helps me do my job better this helps me understand the concept of whatever better and then there's a bunch of his colleagues who are like yes that works for us too yeah there's always going to be shorthand right like we say mpg instead of miles per gallon like miles per gallon is the actual units but you're talking about mpg because once you use it a lot you want to shorten it and make it easier to say and whatnot that's perfectly Mm -hmm. reasonable i completely get that but generally speaking if you make something easier to learn it's also going to be easier to use i suppose you're right in that regard yeah i I don't know yeah i just wanted to clarify that there are more than three fundamental units so there's at least i stand mildly corrected a fourth one and then two that he doesn't really count so we'll say like five the other two count as half i'll grant luminosity or luminous intensity or whatever it is i'll I'll grant that as a thing it's just not very important in in terms of actual (laughs) reality that we have to deal with every day but sure i'll I'll grant that (laughs) fine five and a half (laughs) yeah five and a half i'll give it five and a half sure i did want to continue a little bit with a peeve i've been really annoyed and i've been waiting all week to talk to you about this because I've been super annoyed. Do it. Talk about it. And what I'm annoyed with is on Post, which is the Irish post office, essentially. And they have a really uh, good reputation, generally, I would say. Do they? Yeah, like they're really popular. And there's this whole thing that like, if you write the address or whatever of a letter on a beer coaster Uh or something like they'll get it to wherever it's going they have this reputation of finding a guy out in a field with some sheep they can find him and figure out who he is and get the the letter to him right so cool they're endeavoring yeah like it's supposed to be i'm starting to think that john hates ireland a little bit no not at all not at all a little bit like i mean you hate the speed bumps and other things i can't remember that you were complaining about in an earlier episode there are some downsides there are some great sides too like this morning to Mm -hmm. talk about something optimistic i got up this morning and had a great day out in the wonderful warm spring sun took a three Uh hour hike up through the mountains south of here along this little section of the wicklow way which is this two week hike through the entire island and it was beautiful and wonderful and there are lots and lots of great hikes within 30 minutes or 40 minutes drive of Dublin and that is unbelievable for somebody from LA right like right you you can't get out of the city in that time much less get to beautiful forests that you can hike in and look out over the ocean and so there's a lot of great stuff all right so John does have good things to say about Ireland 
See, I just, I, you know, you just got to drop the good knowledge. That's true. That's right. true. It's, it can't always all, all be complaining and everything. No, I really yeah. do like it here quite a bit. All right. Now let's stomp on this, this uh, on post thing. Yeah. Okay. So they have this reputation for being really good and getting everything to everybody and whatnot. And I, I don't deny that. Like that may very well be true. But they also have this thing where if they're delivering any sort of package to your house or apartment and you're not there, like you don't answer the door, kind of like if you think about UPS, if you're not there, right. they'll leave a note and say you can come pick it up. Right. Well, I mean, they give you the option to sign for it. So if you choose not to sign for it, they'll just leave it at your doorstep. Right. Sure. I don't actually know because I never lived in an apartment in the States. How does that work if you have an apartment, if they don't have, like, a place to leave it? Ooh, that's a rough Do one. they just I, leave it on, I mean, like, generally the, the stairs? I mean, they leave it at the front of the door. My apartment is pretty convenient because, you know, it's kind of hidden. Well, yeah, you don't live in, like, a high-rise that, like, they can't that's get into true. the building. Oh, I actually have no idea how that would work. Maybe there's, like, a front door person that they leave it with. Yeah, if there was a front door person, that would make sense. I'm not sure for other buildings that are, like, five stories tall and don't have anybody that works in the front. But that's beside the point. Ignoring mm-hmm. how apartments work in the States... Right. UPS will at least bring it back three times before they just leave it at their place, right? And mm-hmm. here, they have this system where if you're not here, they bring it back to the, the post office and you have to go pick it up. That's fine with me, right? Like, I understand that. That seems practical and reasonable. The problem that I have is that multiple times, it's happened three or four times now, I have been in my apartment waiting for a package that I know is coming I know it's coming that day. You can track things now. Like, there's all of this stuff around, right? right? Welcome to the present. (laughs) Exactly. Welcome to the internet. And it's supposed to arrive. No one ever rings the doorbell. Like, I have this enormously loud doorbell that it sounds like just a foghorn. It's it's, just deafening. There's no way that I couldn't hear it. Even if I was in a shower, I would hear it. But I wasn't in the shower. Uh And the other day, I had this little book that was supposed to be delivered. And... Uh I go out in the afternoon, look around. Oh, there's a note that says it was supposed to be delivered at 930 in the morning when I was in the apartment. There's no way that they rang it. And I've come across this phenomenon that exists with OnPost where some people who are extremely lazy postmen will not even bring out packages. They'll just leave their packages at the place and they'll write notes saying that they brought it. And so they don't have to carry all these packages. They'll just write notes and say that they did and never even ring and never try to deliver anything. What? Yeah. But don't they drive everywhere? I don't actually know. I don't ever see... They certainly don't have postal trucks like we do. Uh... They might walk... They might drive. I, I, I'm not actually sure. But whether or not they drive, it's really, really crappy that I've multiple times had to walk 30 minutes down to the post office so that I could pick up something that they never even tried to deliver. What's the point of paying for things to be mailed if you don't even get the mail to you? Like, it's less than ideal. Right. Well, now's your time, John. Uprise. Build a competing on post. On post two. Yeah, I don't think I'm the guy to do that, but I will complain and whinge about the existing one. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. When, one time I went to go pick up my package and the same thing had happened because all of these times, all like three or four times that this has right. happened, I've been in the house at the time because they have to write on the little note what time they delivered it. And I'm like, uh-huh. I was sitting at my apartment. Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> just um, waiting. Just he waiting. Wasn't doing there. anything. Just sitting, just sitting in front like, of my door. Why. <laughs> like a dog waiting for the owner to come home. Where's this package going to come? <laughs> exactly. And so one of the times I brought it up to the guy that I picked up the package from when I was at the place. And it was hilarious because I had heard about this phenomenon, right? And I brought it up mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't think he even rang the doorbell. Like, 
I was there when this happened. And he looked at the address and he was like, oh no, that guy doesn't do that. As though like some guys do that, but like that guy's really good. He would never do that. And so I was like, that's great to hear. I'm glad that it's such a common phenomenon that like you have it in your head who completely shirks their job and who actually does their job. That's wonderful. That's great. That's so boss. Oh no, that guy actually does his job. Trust me, I know. Not your boss is the word I would use, but you know, it's a thing. That's great, though. It's so funny. Do you think I'm glad some you of them, enjoy it. like, it doesn't occur to them to use the doorbell and they just kind of do, like, a little knock-knock and they're like, oh, no one answered. I'm out of here. I ain't got time for this. No. Not in, like, no. apartment buildings. Like, you get to the front of an apartment building with, like, 20 apartments and you just knock on the front door and you're like, well, nobody <laughs> answered the front door. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I don't know how people roll. It seems a bit crazy. I just think there's some people who don't think to use a doorbell and they're just like knock 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 all right i'm out of here i guess except just like in most apartment buildings there's like a big panel at the front with different apartment numbers which are our addresses and you can press the button on any of these places on the panel you know what i mean like oh i see i see and then there's a little intercom speaker system thing and yeah yeah i guess i mean i guess there's no excuse for not doing that it's pretty outrageous yeah i mean three or four times is pretty like once twice yeah maybe it was just like bad luck but four times yeah like the first time i didn't even mention it because you know it's like whatever maybe i didn't hear it or something i think the first time i didn't even realize how loud our bell was because we never have anybody ring the bell if somebody shows up Mm -hmm. they text us and we like let them in you know what i mean right but then we even tested to make sure we could hear it because this was frustrating us after the second time and it's loud as all hell so you know there it is yeah there you go do your jobs people in ireland specifically with the post office yes not everyone in ireland i'm not calling you guys lazy i'm sure a lot of you are hard work yes i think they're rather sorry people irish people just post office a few guys you wanted to talk a little bit about pool right like we've mentioned a couple times it's just come up because you're so into pool on the show it's come up Mm. on occasion like i remember you mentioned at some point practicing it a lot and Seeing diminishing returns from practicing. Yeah. Uh, what did you want to bring up about pool? So sometimes I feel like I'm not really like a legitimate enthusiast of pool. And I only say that because sure. I, I don't know really a lot about terminology. I, I don't know what rule sets are called. Like I generally okay. understand the idea and I definitely know how to play, you know? Yeah. yeah call sure. the shot, call the shot. If it does not go the way you meant it to go, you lose a turn, you know? Scratch the ball, lose a turn, right? I get it. I get the rule sets. I get how to play it, and I understand how to do what I want to do to be successful in the game. But, yeah. like, I don't know the name of anything. It took me maybe, like, a year and a half after I learned how to hit the ball and make it roll back to me. Mm. Apparently, it's called English. You didn't know that? I did not okay. know that. And somebody's like, oh, man, nice English. I'm like, nice what? Like, what are you... What'd you say to me? And he's like, you know, like the thing you did. I'm like, That's oh, yeah. it has a name. It was like mind boggling to me, you know? Yeah. And I realized that the more I play, mm. the more I don't know what anything is called. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm getting to a point where I play well enough that people will be like, oh, you play, don't you? And I think they mean like I play in tournaments, mm. right? Because like I'm like, yeah, I play. Like you see me playing with you here now in the bar. <laughs> like, yeah, I play. <laughs> like uh, sure. obviously, yeah. that's what I do. I am doing that now. Yeah, 
but you know there's like this weird tier to it that i never really understood okay the way i learned it was from this guy i befriended at a bar who was okay. really really good when i was really really bad and so yeah. i would like kind of ask him like oh how do you do this or how do you do that and he'd be like oh you do this oh you do that and then i was racking him up one day and he's like oh that's not how you rack this is how you rack and i was like okay and so since then that's how i rack right so i was like you sure, know more yeah, than i yeah, do yeah. i believe you i'll take your word for it now that i've gotten to like a level where i'm pretty i would say decent people see yeah. me rack up the balls and they go oh you play don't you better than me yeah 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 much better than you and i'm like <laughs> i mean yeah i play for fun <laughs> and i'm starting to learn that there's this whole like culture behind it that i never realized yeah. and all this terminology that people went out of their way to learn i guess that i've never even bothered with yeah it's definitely a thing that i've experienced in certain instances it's something that i noticed a while mm -hmm. ago like years and years ago when i first started playing this one online video game called league of legends everyone knows what league of legends is john it's okay you don't have to be ashamed <laughs> i don't think everybody knows but like i started playing i was really bad at the start right as is a given with a new game i've never played that type right. of game before and i just remember people sending messages because there's this chat in the game uh -huh. using all of this weird lingo and i was like i have no idea what you're talking about like some of it's clear you know bottom lane right. top lane sure but there's a whole bunch of stuff and i'm just like i don't know what a gank is like what do you want me to do like i don't know what you're talking about and one of my friends was really into the game at the time and he had got me into the game and he was really into the online culture of it and he would talk to people about this so he was a part of this community a part of this culture that mm -hmm. was developing all this terminology and i remember the first time i watched like an esports match of it and this is the mm -hmm. real turning point and this is the thing that i think relates to the pool where when i was watching it the guys broadcasting the guys announcing the game right they used all of this terminology and they described ah. all of it and they broke things down and so as i was watching that i was learning a lot of this terminology because i got to the point in a similar way to you that i was pretty good i moved up in the rankings quite substantially and yet i still didn't really know all of the terminology that people would expect you to know at that level and i noticed that watching it they use it and when they're using it or you're having conversations with people using it you pick it up much much faster if you're just playing and just practicing like you don't learn it in the same way it's right. actually that that was one of the times that i first realized how valuable it is when you're doing something when you're working on a certain mm -hmm. skill to watch other people do it and to really watch professionals and watch broadcasts of it like with pool mm -hmm. i imagine if you watch professionals there are just all of these little things that you would pick up about strategy about how things interact but with each other that's the weird thing i feel like all i do is i learn from losing games to people who are better than i am and i go mm. what did they do that i didn't do okay and i've gotten to a point where i've played against people who talk about the stuff who understand the lingo who use like three different pool sticks for three different things sure and the results are essentially the same like we could go 50 50 like okay. they know a lot of jargon <laughs> about the game yeah. and they understand what the concepts are called and that's fine you know good for them they can name it but like it doesn't make them better players it's true it's right? always like, a sad thing to see somebody walk up with all of this equipment being really into it like if you're playing tennis with somebody they have like the, this incredible racket they've got all this gear and stuff right and then they can't serve the ball like it's, it's just such a sad situation and that's not even what i mean really okay. what i'm saying is like they're good they're good 
but having the extra nice pull stick and having the little one that helps them jump the ball and, you know, knowing what this is called and knowing what that's called and wearing a weird little, like, glove. Yeah, sure. Wrist thing. It doesn't improve their game. It doesn't make them so much better than someone who's probably spent the equal amount of time playing and learning just like they have. That's true. They know much more about the game. Right, but they're not any better at the game. I don't know how many more hours they spend watching it on TV or reading about it, but yeah. I just feel like that time, it could be useful, you know? Maybe yeah. watching the game will make people better, but I think a lot of the time it's wasted. You could spend that same time playing against people and getting better that way. You're definitely right, and I think this distinction between knowing about something and knowing how to do something is an important distinction. And it, it it's pretty, it should be pretty easy to see because with, especially with something like this, it's very clear what skills you're working on and right. reading about it doesn't really help. There are a lot of other things that are much more a blending of kind of the intellectual and the physical. And so they're less clear, but you're right. So many people spend so much time learning about things and don't focus on developing the skills that are necessary to actually execute successfully. Yeah. It's funny because I think it has this interesting impact in how people approach things. Because mm. I think there's people that approach things with a lot more confidence. Sure. Having the knowledge, well, maybe not necessarily the practice. Yeah, it's a serious problem when people focus too much on learning about something before they develop the skills at all. Right. You're right, there is the potential with something like pool to where mm -hmm. once you get to a certain break point, that understanding the game in a more sophisticated way could be beneficial. So like watching professional matches could be beneficial once you have skills. Right. But before you have any skills, that's completely useless. Yeah. You have to get to a certain level of competence first. Yes, because like I play pool for free at a bar, so a lot of sure. people go to play for free. Some of those people are not good. Sure. And they talk about the game with a lot of knowledge of the terminology, and they'll look at someone mm. and they'll go, oh, they don't know how to do this, they don't know how to do that. And all I can think is, neither do you, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, You're talking to me about it. I can do that. You can't do that. Don't tell me they're bad. You're bad too. Like, Get better. It doesn't matter what you know. It. Like, sure, absolutely. It's weird. It's kind of frustrating to hear people do that because they'll, they'll do that. They'll like sit there and they'll whisper at me like, oh, that guy's not even good. Like he can't do this or she can't do that or blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, just because you know what it is that they're trying to do poorly doesn't mean that you're better than them because you can't do it either. In fact, I think you do it worse than this person does. It's just funny to see those people, the people that kind of hang out and play yeah. a couple of games and don't get any better. And then somehow learn everything they need to know about what everything is, sure. but still haven't improved at all. And I'm just like, well, that was worthless for you. That is a funny phenomenon. Like, I definitely know when I see people rant about how terrible professional, like, basketball players are, or professional soccer players, and this person's, you know, fat sit on the couch, can't kick a ball to save their life. And it's like, you're talking about how terrible they are. And sure, there's a different standard because they're professional. Like, I, I get that. Right. Like, if I get my house remodeled or whatever, and the work is poor, I don't have to be good enough to do the work to call that guy bad. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same right. time, there is just this weird thing when you're insulting someone who is so astronomically better than you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very strange thing. 
And I also think it's weird that there's people who could probably be good at something, criticizing people who are good at something without having mm. bothered to improve at it. But why do you think people do that? Like, why do you think people spend the time and energy to learn about something, but they don't practice to get to where they're competent? For me, I think a lot of people just kind of like the idea of doing something. Okay. There's people who are like, oh, pool looks cool. Maybe that's why they're there. They're like, it looks cool. And they play, right? Sure. And I just do it because I was like, oh, it's free. It's not going to cost me more than like two beers worth to spend a couple hours playing. So it's like 12 bucks to learn a new skill. That's fun, right? Yeah. I think there's other people who are like, I look cool here. I'm going to come here and hang out and be cool with like all the cool pool, all the cool pool guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like yeah. once I started doing it like every week and it became kind of a hobby, I would go to a pool hall. I would spend six bucks an hour playing by myself, mm. playing with a friend, like just yeah. practicing because – it's fun. Like, I like doing it. Yeah. But before I even started doing that, I played a lot, like, every week. For me, it was fun. For me, it yeah. was something to do. And for them, I think it's just like, it looks cool. Yeah, I'll come every once in a while, or I'll play around. Well, and that is an interesting distinction that you just made between someone who enjoys doing the thing versus someone who enjoys learning about the thing. Because I see uh -huh. this all of the time with people. Uh -huh. And it's especially acute in school. And I see it at university with a lot of things that people major in that they really uh -huh. hate once they get out. They enjoy learning about whatever that subject matter is. You'll see it with archaeology. It's really common with science where people study chemistry or physics or whatever they do mm -hmm. and sometimes they'll go through their masters and then they'll want to become a researcher or something right and they hate doing research because what you're doing at university what you're doing in school is fundamentally not what you will be doing once you're out at all right like right. you're learning about physics or you're learning about chemistry you're not mm -hmm. actually conducting large-scale studies like for chemistry, right? You're not working for a pharmaceutical company doing large-scale randomized double-blind trials. Like that's not what you're doing. Right. Organizing that is a completely different job from learning and thinking Just, about the chemistry. Right. And you see this like with a lot of skills that people learn. Like a lot of people learn about languages when they want to learn a language, right? They learn all about the mm -hmm. country and the culture and maybe they study the grammar a lot because they're really interested mm -hmm. and, and nerdy about grammar, but they don't actually right. go through the process of practicing and utilizing the language, which is what That's you need true. to actually use it. And you see this, like I see this with the stuff that I'm working Although, on in terms of video production. I uh -huh. obviously had to learn stuff in order to produce the videos that I'm now working right. on producing these animated videos. And mm -hmm. That is necessary, but making the things is what makes you better at it. And if you don't enjoy right. making it, it's going to be really hard to get yourself to make it, even if you enjoy learning about it and learning different techniques and things like that. Like, it's a very different thing. Yeah. And I think for me, pool, one lesson it's taught me, really, mm. if I want to learn something, is not to spend so much time learning what the thing is. Just find something and practice on it. And if you're unsure... Yeah. Just use a tutorial and practice that same thing like over and over again. If you just spend one day every week, an hour and a half, you will get good. I think sometimes people just have to like jump in it. It's okay. the only way to learn. And something that kind of like reinforced this idea for me, or maybe kind of come to the realization that that's how you get good at something, hmm. is a friend of mine who I've known since I was 10 years old. Okay. And we don't talk very often, but sporadically we'll like get together and catch up. And he pulls out a guitar and he's like, oh, I've been practicing. And I was like, okay, you know, like whatever. 
Yeah. Everyone tries to practice guitar. Yeah. And he started playing the guitar and he was really good. And I was like, wow. And he's like, yeah, I've just been practicing every day for an hour. Yeah. For the last, I don't know, like seven months or eight months or 10. Like it was less than a year, but it was like a big substantial amount of time. time. Yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine someone who doesn't know how to play the guitar and who has never taken like a guitar lesson to go from whatever he was at day one to where he was at the day that I was spending time with him. Yeah. Like I had to imagine it was huge how much better he got because he sounded great. He wasn't playing like some song he learned. He was just playing the chords and sounding good. Yeah. Yeah, And I was just so surprised. I had to imagine that it was the same concept. He didn't really know anything. He just bought a guitar and started practicing by looking up tabs or tutorials or whatever and just practicing. Yeah. I'm surprised we haven't actually talked about this more because this is something that I've worked on extensively with somebody else that I work with. And we had this whole concept that we called amateur hours, which was we would spend Mm -hmm. 30 hours a month. So an hour a day learning a new skill. Mm -hmm. And you strictly limit the amount of time you're going to allow for research and preparation. You spend five to 10 hours figuring out what you need to know in order to be good at this. So for guitar, like you were just describing, you need to know perhaps tabs or chords or how to strum, Mm -hmm. fingerings, what have you. And so you spend five hours researching that. And then you just practice an hour a day to learn the different skills and integrate the different skills that you were working on. And we did this for months and months, learning different skills from video editing to audio editing to she did this thing about dancing. Right. We did all sorts of things. And it's it's exactly based upon the same concept that you're describing. What paralyzes a lot of people is spending an enormous amount of time learning about things. You could mm-hmm. spend so much time reading about guitar, trying to figure out what kind of methodology right. you should use to learn. Like this is, again, going back to language, the thing that I think paralyzes people where they spend months and months trying to figure out how they should learn the language, where they should start, what online program they should use or what have you, and don't actually go through the process of just acquiring the language, like learning it, using it. And that's extremely counterproductive. I completely agree. But I think a a big reason that it's so prevalent that we think about this poorly and execute Mm -hmm. this poorly is because of our school system. So much of what we learn at school is built around this idea about learning kind of theoretical knowledge and not necessarily applying it in any practical sense. I also think that there's this idea that failing is bad. Yeah, sure. Right. Like nobody wants to fail a class. Right. I mean, because I know you like bashing on the U.S. school system. So I don't like bashing on the U.S. school system. I think there is a lot that could be improved about all school systems. And the U.S. school system happens to be the one I'm most familiar with. Right. I don't disagree with you, but... Yes, I think that maybe there is this idea that there's a lot of theoretical learning and not a lot of applicable learning. But also, I think it's people are afraid to fail and they're like, well, I'm not good at it. And we've talked about this at least a few times. It comes up periodically. Right. That if someone feels like they're not good at something, they just think they're not good at it. Like, oh, I can't get better at it. I'm bad at it. Yeah. And they, it's a static it mindset them, as opposed to a dynamic right. mindset. So it doesn't occur to them that you're only bad because you don't know how to do it. You're not bad at it because you can't do it. Yeah. And it's a concept that people aren't taught. If you just think about it a little bit, it becomes really apparent that no one when they're born knows any of this stuff. Like right. no one knows algebra when they're born. So everybody that knows algebra learned it. So that means yeah. you can learn it just like everybody else. Like it, it's makes sense everybody learns to walk everybody learns to talk right these things can be learned in the same way you just have to actually go through the process of learning them and utilizing them 
Mm-hmm. And you're right. We did mention it a couple episodes ago. My complaints, in particular, about English classes and math classes, that they, more than any other classes, exist in this theoretical vacuum, where you're trying to develop these skills, but you're not applying them in an integrated way with other subject matter like science, like history, like philosophy. You're not utilizing them for a powerful purpose that will engage a student you are trying to learn them right in this quasi vacuum where math in particular seems completely useless to most students because they don't understand why you would possibly need to know the quadratic formula or why understanding how to do anything with algebra is beneficial in any way and it makes sense that they (laughs) struggle with that because they're not taught that they don't see how to use it that's true and sometimes they use these really crazy examples like who cares about one train going one way and another train going in the opposite direction and they're going to meet uh, at what point they're going to meet. Yeah, like I think if they found different word problems that might be more tangible, like more realistic for them. But the thing is, like word problems aren't even the issue. Like you need to actually use the stuff. Like not use it in an arbitrary made up word problem. Use it in a real experiment in your physics class. Like use it in some practical sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe teachers aren't sure how to incorporate actual experiments into the class. Maybe they're not allowed to. This doesn't fall on teachers particularly. Like they are siloed by the system. A math teacher can't just say, okay, now we're going to go do a chemistry lab. Like that's not a thing that (laughs) they can do. Like it's it's just not a reasonable expectation. You would have to restructure the curriculum in a substantial way to achieve the Mm -hmm. sorts of things that we're talking about. But that's a much more complicated thing than we're going to get into right now. Yeah, that's true. We're getting off the subject here. We're sorry, people. Yeah. But this is why you listen to us, I hope. I hope. (laughs) Do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about with us? You know, there's so many things about pool that I could talk about that I think this is enough for today. (laughs) All right, let's leave it there. Yeah, because I could talk about it for like 12 hours and nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Especially those of us that don't actually play pool. Oh, well, then play. It's fun. Easy to learn. It's it's okay. It's no ping pong, you know? It's better than ping pong. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> John, you like technology, don't you? I do, in fact. Is there anything you want to talk about regarding technology? Maybe I like think... genetic engineering again or something? <laughs> I guess that's technically biology. But... No, it's technology. <laughs> anyway, it's technology it's applied right. to biological yeah. systems. But it, it does count. So cars are an interesting thing. Electric cars have obviously been a huge topic of conversation over the last couple they... of years with Tesla and yeah. with general electrification, right? Mm-hmm. But autonomous vehicles have really taken the stage in the last year or two. And I still don't think they're going to come in any substantial way for quite a while. But just recently, someone was killed by an autonomous vehicle for the first time, which obviously took over all of the news cycles and everything. I don't Uh think it's actually a very large story. but That was fast. What was fast? They had an automated car out there for how long? Well, Google's been driving them for, what, two or three years? All around California? Boom. I mean, considering the numbers of car deaths there are all over the world, like there's something like 1.5 million people that die from cars every year. So one death from an autonomous vehicle doesn't sound that outrageous. But I've been just thinking about it a lot because of this and because I've been reading more and more about them. And because everyone seems to be more optimistic about how quickly they will roll out to the world than I am. 
And so uh-huh. I just was wondering your thoughts on autonomous vehicles. Would you ride in one? Are you excited about this? Are you worried about this? Mm. Where do you stand on these things? Well, I'm probably optimistic about the idea. Okay. But it's so early. But why are you optimistic? Like, what is the positive? Like, what, what do you see coming out of it? Well, I think it's probably going to help lower car accidents. It's probably going to keep drunk drivers from killing themselves and other people. That's true. It's probably going to help with traffic sometimes. I mean, maybe not always, but it'll definitely make things easier. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it'll definitely reduce congestion to the extent that it doesn't increase the time people are spending transporting themselves. And I think it'll allow driving time to stop being this like almost passive activity. You know? Yeah, I think it will. Yeah, you won't have to focus as much. You're right. It'll remove the stress around driving, and it'll remove the time suck that is driving, or at least reduce it. Right, because like now, you know, it's like the most productive thing you could do in a car is maybe like listen to a podcast or yeah, practice a language with one of those Rosetta Stone CDs or something. Have a conversation with someone. Sure. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. But I think once cars become automated, if that's the future you'll probably be able to start doing other things that you probably wouldn't think you could do in a car yeah but i think you know i mean for me at least for a lot of people with motion sickness i don't think people are going to be overly comfortable reading and working on their computers and things because you know motion sickness is going to be a real issue i think perhaps less than now because people won't break as much they won't break as hard you know turns might be smoother or something but a lot of people that i've read recently seem to talk about, you know, sleeping in cars on their commute or like being able to do work on their commute. And I'm like, I don't actually see that being a huge thing. Because if you have a 20 minute commute, what, you're going to take a 20 minute nap? Like, come on, most people are not going to wake up in the morning, get dressed, and then go take a nap. Like, that's just not reality. But I do think the impact could potentially be pretty far reaching. And I kind of see it going one of two ways, right? I'm really focused on urban planning and the structures of our cities. Uh It's a really important thing to me. And I, at first, was really excited about autonomous vehicles because of the idea that you no longer have to have parking and you no longer have to have nearly as much space dedicated to cars. And if you remove parking lots, like from our hometown of Long Beach, you're saving 10% of the total land space in Long Beach, just taking out parking. It's huge. that's, That's pretty substantial. Yeah, about a third of our land in Long Beach is dedicated to car stuff. So that's roads, parking, garages, driveways, all of that stuff. And the opportunity to get rid of driveways and get rid of a lot of lanes on different streets and get rid of parking lots, like that seems like a huge advantage and a huge benefit that I'm excited about. And so when I first was thinking about these, I thought they would cause cities to become much denser again, mm-hmm. kind of push back from the sprawl that cars created. Right. But I was talking to someone recently about this, and they pointed out the fact that this very likely will reduce the cost of transportation. Hmm. That did not occur to me. Yeah, well, because when you think about the cost of transportation, there are a couple major costs, right? If you own the car, you have the cost of the car. But you don't drive the car the vast majority of the time. So that cost Mm -hmm. per trip is really high. If you get taxis, the cost is even higher. But most of the cost of the taxi goes to the driver. So if you don't Mm -hmm. have a driver and you don't own the car, your cost per trip or cost per mile can drop dramatically. Now, if you add to that the fact that these cars will very likely be electric and that electricity costs 
as we switch to solar, as we've talked about before, will likely mm-hmm. drop dramatically. Energy will be much, much cheaper than oil is currently in 20 mm-hmm. years. And right. so if you see these being rolled out in 20 years and you have the cost of the driver gone, you have the cost of energy reduced dramatically, the cost mm-hmm. of transportation will drop substantially. And also these things, unlike taxis, can be used right. 24 hours a day, essentially. So you don't have the issue of, oh, this is a taxi driver, he has to take his lunch, and so it's not being used for an hour. Or he goes right. home and goes to sleep, and it's not being used all night. Like, they, they can be used at any point. Right. So all of these things will make it cheaper. And what often happens when you make something cheaper is you create a lot more demand. So people will require a lot more trips. But what you're mm-hmm. also doing with autonomous vehicles is, as you said, you're making driving less unpleasant. So going long distances in an autonomous vehicle becomes more like taking a train where it's kind of nice. Right. Do you think that if the way it ends up being is, you know, using autonomous cars from some service provider, people stop focusing on owning cars and spend their money or their focus on just creating like a fleet of service vehicles? Do you think that would phase out buses and trains? No, it definitely wouldn't phase out buses, I don't think, because buses would also become autonomous, which would lower the cost of buses. But I think Mm -hmm. transportation in highly dense urban centers will require mass transit, because even if cars are autonomous and can drive with much less distance between them and don't get into accidents and all of that, they're still going to take up a a lot more space per person if there's only one person in the car than a bus will and so buses can move substantially more people using substantially less space and that will be necessary in urban centers i think so that that doesn't go away and i think subways even more so well the way you were talking about it and the way i was thinking about it just made me think that there'd be like like some kind of fleet yeah of automated service vehicles right yeah and people would punch in whatever their destination was Mm -hmm. and the car would have a route that would pick up people till the car was at capacity and take them to the same general vicinity yeah i think that's entirely possible i I don't necessarily think that buses will exist as they exist now like we already see with things like uber that there are certain services they offer where you can get trips with other people and so it might look more like minibuses that can seat six or seat eight and then they operate in the way that you just described where they either follow set normal routes or they go down main streets and so everyone just walks to this main street and then it will drop you off within a block or two of where you're going i think that that is a very likely path for the cheaper option than taxis but i think that it will not just become everyone takes taxis all over the place. Like it would be cheap enough for that perhaps, but I think the space requirements would be unwieldy. Like that would be a major issue. You also deal with the issue that there will be a lot more deliveries, right? We already see a huge increase of deliveries with Amazon and things Uh like that, where people are getting food delivered, people are getting everything delivered. And that will clog roads even more once it becomes cheaper to deliver things. But what I was getting to is I thought initially that things would get much denser, cities would get much denser. But the Uh fact that it's less unpleasant to take an automated car or an autonomous car, I keep saying automated, the fact that it's cheaper and less unpleasant means that people Mm -hmm. will probably be more comfortable having longer commutes. So it might actually increase sprawl. It might actually cause suburbs to be further flung than they are currently. 
because if an hour commute is now not that bad because you can just sit there and read, right. well, people will be much more comfortable having these long commutes. And so Same. this has created a concern for me, but I have no, I have no answers there, just concern. But I still think that if that were the case, some kind of carpooling system would become really common. But why? Because it just seems more convenient. Like, why would an individual just be like, yeah, I'm just going to take this car alone and sit here by myself? Well, they do it now. Yes. I just Carpooling systems exist now, like Zipcar and things like that. And some people do carpool, but people primarily carpool because it's cheaper and they can use a carpool lane. At the point where it's not that much cheaper, or taxis are so cheap that it doesn't matter anyway. Like, I'm not sure right. that it makes sense for people to really carpool. Because think about it. You have this car to yourself. You can play music. You can watch TV. Do you really want all these other people in your car where you can't have the volume on and you can't just sit back and watch this TV? I'm not sure. Do you want well, strangers I, in your car? I don't know. Well, I mean, and I, again, I keep thinking about this in the terms of a fleet of cars that provide a service, right? Not so much people with their individual cars. No, I'm not talking about people owning. I'm talking about like you just summon a taxi, but do you want to be the only person in there or do you want other people? But it could still be like a solitary experience. There could be a plug-in for earphones and maybe they have like a little divider if you want to, you know, not look at anyone. Yeah, you're right. That's possible. They could design the cars in a way that would be intended for multiple people to be in at once and still allow some privacy if someone doesn't want to socialize. Right. I, I think all of this depends on cost, right? Mm-hmm. Because think about it like this, right? If the commute costs you a dollar for like an hour commute, let's say. I know that's right. unrealistically low, but let's just say it's a dollar. Mm-hmm. But the carpool option costs you 70 cents. Well, that's a lot cheaper, but does it matter? Would you not just go for the convenience of not having to stop at other people's places and not having to deal with, oh, that guy smells or that guy's looking at me weird? Right. Or, I mean, that's true. I understand. I just, because if there's, there's like preset routes, as it were, those cars are still going to stop where those people were. Like, it, that's still going to happen. Right, but that's the whole thing. Would, people would want taxis. They would want to go door to door. They wouldn't want preset routes. And if it was already pretty cheap, they would sacrifice the little bit of money to get that direct route and save the 10 or 15 minutes and not have to deal with other people, I think. But that's a hard to know detail. You know I mean, I, I agree with you because I don't like, really being around people either my hope is that (laughs) my hope is that it would make cities substantially denser because you get rid of all the parking and you can reduce the amount of space used for streets Mm -hmm. i think there is a certain economic tipping point where if cities got dense enough enough stuff is in walking distance that people wouldn't use these taxis as much which would reduce demand and there would be the spiral effect where people would use them less and less and we would need fewer and fewer roads and that would be very nice but if that economic impact is not strong enough, it could go the other way. Or if it just gets so right. incredibly cheap, it could go the other way where people just sprawl out because they want more space in their house. And it's cheaper if they go out beyond the hills or whatever. Right. But this brings me to something that I've been trying to grapple with, and I don't understand the impacts of it yet. What don't you understand the impacts of it? It's the concept of zero cost for something. Mm-hmm. So this would not be zero cost for transportation. But it could right. potentially be pretty close. You think so? I think it could be so cheap that it doesn't matter. Okay. Let me explain the concept. So right now we're at the point where transferring information and communication costs nothing. Distribution right. on the internet costs nothing, essentially. Mm-hmm. And with the expansion of solar panels, and once solar panels take over in the next 30 years, the cost of electricity will drop so substantially. Like I think it will drop by the order of 90%. 
And okay. so if you have this incredible drop in the cost of electricity, that brings that mm-hmm. close to zero, essentially, right? Like already right. people don't really pay attention to electricity. Like you leave your light on in your house and like nobody really worries about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true for industry. If they use a highly energy intensive process, they'll pay attention because that's a big cost. But right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah, a normal yeah, person. Yeah, so that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, a normal person, that doesn't matter. Right. Nobody's like, oh, I'm not going to plug in my phone because <laughs> it costs too much. Right. Like even businesses do that. You see that like stores close, but they still have lights on inside. And... Yeah, because it, it costs so little. And if you right. imagine that price dropping just by half, that is so cheap that nobody would care anymore, really. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when you expand that to looking at cars, like obviously cars, you would have to replace them periodically. Right. But they would be used so much that the cost per mile would be tiny compared to what we're talking about now. So first you have the cost of distribution of information and communication. Mm -hmm. Then you have the cost of energy. And now you have the cost of transportation. And as you start to see each of these pillars of the economy shrink toward zero or towards such a small Uh cost that it's insignificant for your average person, I'm trying to grapple with the idea of how that affects society. Because I think it will have fundamental changes that will be really significant in the same way that the internet was, right? Like the internet has destroyed thousands of businesses, destroyed entire industries and greatly improved everybody's life in the process. Mm -hmm. I think that these changes will also improve people's lives, but will very likely just wipe out huge portions of our economy. And I don't know how it will impact it. I see. I don't think that it'll have that kind of impact on the cost of transportation. Okay. The way you're thinking of it, because that's still an investment, producing the cars, buying the cars, storing the cars. Well, but this is the whole thing. Like, if the cars are on the road 98% of the time, you're not really storing the cars. That's fair. They'll need to be serviced. The yeah. cost for whatever the software is, like, upgrading it. There will like, be costs. Just... But if what you imagine was these autonomous uh-huh. vehicles being managed in this massive fleet, so they could yes. be standardized. You don't have to have nearly as many models. Mm-hmm. They're all run with this advanced software that allows them to go in for servicing and maintenance before they suffer major malfunctions and things like that. Mm -hmm. These are going to be huge companies running massive fleets. So what they're going to care about is reducing the cost. They're going to care about getting cars that are incredibly fuel efficient. They're going to be concerned with getting cars that don't break down. Like you already see with electric cars that they break down much less, they last much longer and they need much less servicing. There just aren't as many mechanical moving parts. Like you look at Tesla's, I think I was reading something like their powertrain, which is everything that connects the engine to the wheels, essentially, right? And the transmission and all that. Their powertrain has something like 20 parts or something. And a conventional internal combustion engine has something like 1,500 parts. Like it's a completely mind-bogglingly simple process compared to internal combustion engines. Okay. All of these factors. And and the biggest factor is that what costs most with running a car Mm -hmm. is the gasoline. That's what is most expensive. That's true. And if electricity does drop in price so dramatically, as I expect it to, that means the cost of running these cars will drop dramatically. Like, imagine if you're driving your car and you don't have to pay for gas. Like, gas is just free. Right. Like, that completely changes everything. Oh, yes. And when you imagine companies like Amazon that deliver everything, imagine how that would change the calculus. Like, they're already killing bricks and mortar stores. They're already just wiping them out, right? Borders gone. Like, they're just wiping everybody. Amazon is the best. But now imagine 
they don't have any cost for shipping or not that they don't have any cost for shipping, but they don't have any cost for gasoline for this shipping. Like that cuts the cost of shipping in half, at least. How much more would they be killing everybody? These are the sorts of impacts that I'm talking about. Like you don't have to have it drop to zero in order to have this impact. If it drops by 20%, it's going to have an enormous impact. I'm trying to think of you having tongue tied. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's really hard to grapple with. I, I never thought about it in that. Because we've seen this with a few markets, I've... right? We've seen this with food. And food isn't really a good example. But like food 100 years ago, 200 years ago, mm-hmm. used to take up more than half of what people earned, right? Like it used to take up right. a substantial amount of people's income. Now it takes mm-hmm. up 8%, 10%, like very, very, right. very little comparatively. Mm-hmm. And we've started to see it with the internet. I think we'll see it with energy. We'll perhaps see it with transportation. But like, it's really hard to foresee what that does. The impacts are significant and hard to predict. And one of the interesting things yeah. about the internet is that I think the internet has created a lot of value for people. Like Google right. is huge. Like everybody has yeah. access to all information essentially for free all the time like that is incredible is my best friend yeah google's great google more than i talk to anyone else (laughs) like you know they never leave me astray google has never once been like oh here's the wrong answer that's true it's a very (laughs) rare thing but google doesn't charge anybody for that right and so that means that in the actual economy there's no charges for that like when we calculate the money created or the value created in the economy Mm -hmm. We calculate sales essentially, right? Like I sell you a hammer, that's value created. Right. If I give you something for free, there's no calculation of value created. And so that means no one can get paid. And so everyone benefits, but it's not calculated in the numbers. Mm -hmm. And so all of their value is derived from advertisers essentially. Right. And that fundamentally changes the thinking of what value they're creating and how it's calculated and this huge benefit of having almost free energy or almost free transportation would have the similar impact where suddenly, how are these things distributed? I I don't know where it goes. So I'm very curious about it. I've been thinking about it a lot because I don't have a good grasp of it, but, um, we'd have cars in that vinyl wrapping (laughs) promoting (laughs) whatever, whatever, those companies are paying to promote. No, <laughs> this is very, this is a very real like possibility. In ads. Yeah, no, no I know. Think about it. This is already a I, thing in like no, Las Vegas I, and on the 405. Dude, I, this laughter isn't from like, oh, LOL, imagine. No, that's what it would be. And it's like, that'd be hilarious. Like, it's going to be hilarious. You know, just cars wrapped in, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of ads online. Hmm. Well, it could be horrifying. Like, imagine. It makes me think of a, uh, because, you know, I, I'm a big MMA fan, right? I do. Yeah. Yes. Uh, mixed martial arts for all you people out there that don't know. Well, <laughs> they, you know, they fight in like an octagon-shaped cage. And the yeah. canvas is just covered in ads. You mm. know, like Harley Davidson and this movie that's coming out and other manly things because it's MMA, you know. Yeah, it's like the NASCAR of martial arts. Ah, NASCAR. That's a better example even. We're just going to have a yeah. bunch of NASCAR themed cars that have like wonder bread and i don't know you're absolutely right though like you'll have mcdonald's ads on all of the taxes right and that's the kind of thing that i don't understand because you also don't know how that would impact what you see on the inside of the car like the inside of the car might Uh be plastered with ads oh that'd be super annoying it would be super annoying and it would be super annoying having these bright distracting cars driving around like i saw at one point when i was in 
I think I was in San Diego when I saw this, but there were planes mm -hmm. flying out over the beach with ads. There were basically, uh, there was a barge out in the ocean going by that had giant advertisement on it. And these are the sorts of things mm -hmm. that when it gets really, really cheap to run a car or really, really cheap to do this sort of transportation, like you want to get people's right. attention. This is how you go about it. And we've seen this with the internet, right? When the cost drops to nothing, the way you make money is through advertising. And as mm -hmm. the price drops to nothing on other industries, the potential for that to happen is discouraging, I guess, or, or it's at least something to consider as we move forward. So I, I don't know what impact AVs will have, but I am definitely going to be watching it because it seems like it will roll out much sooner than I had anticipated. Uh, oh, just one more side thing on this, because I think it's okay. a fascinating thing. One of the things that I've come across quite a bit that autonomous vehicles struggle with is dealing with like roadworks and construction and stuff because they have to go outside of lane lines and they have to like go around weird right. routes and things, right? And one of the things that I find fascinating here in Ireland is the fact that so many uh -huh. streets are so narrow that uh -huh. essentially two cars can't go by each other going opposite directions if cars are parked. And right. so cars are always parked. And so the drivers going opposite directions have to like kind of stop and pull halfway into a parking spot and let the other guy go and then pull out. Like right. this happens constantly here. And I just cannot imagine autonomous vehicles navigating that very well of like, oh, do I pull out? Do I stop here and let that guy go? You don't think they would assign lanes like that into one ways? You know, they'd have like a surveyor go out and find routes that allow those narrow lanes to go in one direction and another narrow lane to perhaps come the opposite direction that leads to the same place. Well, I think once all cars are autonomous, I think it gets mm -hmm. much easier because you just right. get rid of the parking, right? Like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that makes it real simple. And you're right. You could also make things one ways. Autonomous vehicles, it doesn't really matter if things are one ways. Right. It's not that confusing for people or confusing mm -hmm. for the cars. But I think the difficulty is when they're being introduced because for the first 10 years that they're out there on the road, there's going to be lots of people with their own cars. Like it's possible that eventually there won't be. Oh yeah. But at least for quite a while, you know, there I, will be. So you can't really ban parking if people have to park in front of their houses. You know? Right. But I'm sure they're going to have some sort of manual mode when things get I don't tricky. think so. You think they're just going to sell like straight autonomous vehicles for people while there's other people on the road? Yeah. No pedals, no wheel. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> I think that just... I think that one, what might happen is there might be remote controllers. So if a vehicle gets into an issue, there might be like some data center somewhere in the country that let's say they have 100 people and those 100 people watch over 100,000 cars. Uh -huh. And whenever a car like says, hey, I don't know what to do, it'll maybe go to one of them and they'll say, yeah, sure, go over the lines right now or whatever. I think that sort of thing is possible. But I completely think that people will be given autonomous vehicles, completely autonomous with no steering wheel and stuff. You think people would feel comfortable enough to buy a car that someone could have remote access to and decide what the car the person is in can and can't do? Not in the next five years. Right. Because even in like the next 10 years, I don't think people would feel comfortable leaving that sort of decision making up to someone, God knows where, doing something for you that you could do for yourself. I think it's very possible that... Once autonomous vehicles become widespread in any kind of way, like once we have the first robo-taxis that are controlled mm -hmm. in large fleets, they will become so cheap to use that no one will buy a car again. Oh. 
Okay. Right. Because think about it like this. Like if you could just uh-huh. take a taxi anywhere you wanted to go and pick it up anywhere you wanted to pick it up at any time. Right. And use it as much as you want. And it's still cheaper than owning a car. Why would you bother owning a car? I guess that makes sense. At that point, you're just burning money, right? I mean, I see what you're saying. I guess it might be worth the cost. Somebody will be like, eh, I don't care. Well, I mean, especially in big cities where you have to pay for parking and stuff like that. Like, You look at a city mm. like New York where a lot of people already don't own cars because there's so much congestion and parking is expensive and it's hard to find parking. Right. And you can get everywhere by foot or by subway or whatever. Already a lot of people don't mm-hmm. own them. Once you have the taxis right. be much cheaper than they are now, why would you bother at all in big cities like that? And even in spread out cities like San Francisco, which is not particularly dense, or Detroit, those sorts of cities... Once taxis are cheaper, it's 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 really a cost calculus, you know, like because right, it's like a taxi is also easier to do because you That's pay fair. five dollars right now and you take this taxi. It's a much bigger decision to be like, I'm going to plop down ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars on this car. Like that is a much bigger, much harder, and much more frustrating situation. No, I I see the convenience in it. I guess in that regard. Yeah. Well, and especially people struggling financially, right? Like if you're struggling financially, your car dies on you and now you can take taxis, even if it's just close, if it's not much more expensive, paying for a taxi every day is a lot easier than trying to save up $5,000 to buy a used car or something. That's fair. That's true. So I don't know. We'll see where it goes, but I am watching it very closely. So the world, you know, we live in today, mm-hmm. it's generally pretty reasonable for the most part, right? You, you'd say, yeah. you, know, you know, like governments, for the most part, anyways, aren't like crazy dictatorships with weird beloved leaders and what have you. <laughs> there are certainly more democracies now than there ever have been prior. Yeah. Right. You know, people like to give the U.S. credit for that. They're like giving people the power, right? Certainly Americans like to give the U.S. credit for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, anywho, what I was going to bring up is, and I know we don't talk about current subjects. Current events, yeah. Newsworthy stuff, yeah. No, we don't get into the news very often. Right. I feel like we've done a pretty good job of not talking about Donald Trump at all. Yeah, it's been pretty impressive to me because it's yeah. on my mind an awful lot to not bring it up. Same. So I feel the need to bring it up, and I just want to talk about specifically i kind of think that he's built this like cult personality around him you know okay with like the propaganda machine that's fox especially he certainly has a subset of his supporters who seem pretty unwavering and their loyalty to him specifically yes which to me is really shocking you know well because the guy is doing crazy stuff yeah he's being really impulsive he's making decisions that are probably not good for his administration which aren't good for his supporters he's employing a strategy that is hard to get your head around that's for sure right still there's these people who are just like he can do no wrong and he's the best and you have news channels that support him that are just like sure everyone just doesn't understand his great strategic mind and all the good things they're doing for the country and right i don't feel like that can't be good you know like can't be good for people to just support someone who's making so many terrible decisions and being so impulsive and yeah rash and just kind of blind faith just, and endless loyalty yeah 
it is an interesting like there has to be a point right like a like a tipping well, point for these people right i don't know it's, it's an interesting thing because when you think about it in normal life loyalty is held up as one of the kind of pinnacles of honor right like being a good friend or a loyal friend or a loyal spouse or loyal son or something like that like those things like it doesn't matter like that's the whole concept around unconditional love right like being loyal to the end is this huge thing that we revere in our society so but don't you think it makes sense to me that loyalty should be warranted you can't just give it blindly for the sake of giving it you don't trust a stranger because they haven't earned your trust. Why would you give your loyalty to someone who hasn't earned the loyalty? Well, parents you know? are supposed to have unconditional love for their children, right? That's a normal yeah, thing. That's and granted, they have a hand in shaping the child, but like... Right. Yeah, I mean, I generally... like My philosophy of life would agree with what you're saying in that I very much believe that you have to bring something to get something, right? You have to bring value to get value and you have earned loyalty to the extent that you have earned it right like you you, you yeah and to the extent that you destroy your reputation or make really stupid decisions one should not be loyal to you i i would generally agree with you that sits awkwardly with how i think you should treat people in a lot of situations because i think when someone does something bad or when someone makes a mistake or makes a lot of stupid decisions like i think right forgiving them and allowing them some clemency i think can often be useful but you're right generally speaking loyalty should be limited right but that doesn't mean the relationship shouldn't change right yeah no i agree and we both agreed that ending relationships and dropping people as it were is not the worst thing in the world if people are not providing value to each other they should not be interacting but even then if you want to forgive someone the dynamics should be able to change and so when you have yeah. individuals like old Donald there making less than better decisions, you don't think his followers mm. should just kind of be like, uh, you know, we still like you, but you're obviously not fit for your position. Oh, no, I completely think that his followers should judge him harshly because of his actions. Supporters. Yes, supporters. Sorry, not followers. Yeah. That being said, like, I grasp why they don't. I, it's interesting. When I saw this cults of personality thing on our topic list, my head went somewhere very different. Really? Yeah. The thing on my mind so much around that of late has been Xi Jinping in China. And that's because China recently moved to abolish term limits. And so... Oh, yeah. 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 So they've established a situation where Xi can now be president in perpetuity, essentially. And this is following this multiple year corruption purge that he's been on and he Uh already has written himself into the constitution and he holds more power and more offices than anyone since mao and one of the things that mao was so known for and one of the real downsides of mao that was really Uh kind of wiped away by his successor deng xiaoping or one Uh of his successors deng xiaoping was this cult of personality this thing where he is the state, right? And this goes back to like monarchies and things like that, where mm-hmm. famously the Sun King in France, Louis the Fourteenth, said, "I am the state." Yeah, right. That's such a baller move. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's, it's quite just... a thing. But when you yeah. were raised as 
the person who is going to become king and you've been king for 50 years or something like it makes sense that you would kind of have that mentality but you're right that not just having that kind of loyalty but having someone have power for that length of time is dangerous for any organization much less a country Uh Um, and i think this is the thing that is underappreciated about democracies and about term limits specifically because when you have an organization like if you look at companies right and they have Uh a founder or ceo who's been there for 30 years or 40 years right they become synonymous oh absolutely they become synonymous with like you see it right now with warren buffett and berkshire hathaway like you've seen it with a lot of companies where they are synonymous with the company and when you eventually have to have succession and you eventually have to have somebody fill in their role right you can't it's really really difficult to have someone fill their shoes but not just as it difficult to have someone fill their shoes but it's difficult to figure out who replaces them there's no orderly succession like after mao right. died it was everyone for themselves kind of thing you yeah. you, you have no and idea what's going to happen right like you look after stalin's death it's the same kind of thing like at least monarchies had orderly successions but they had mm-hmm. no way to prepare for succession because everyone that works with the current leader has only right. ever worked with the current leader And so China, with Deng Xiaoping, instituted this thing where they would only allow people to be in charge for 10 years, two terms, two five-year terms, right? And that was respected for several decades. But now that Xi has removed it and has also consolidated power so much, it looks as though he's moving in a much more Mao-like direction where he's really consolidating power around him and building himself up above the party, above the state. And you're right, Trump very much does that in the same way. Like Trump is as separate from the Republican Party as any president ever has been from their party. He is not supported by a lot of Republicans. He's certainly not supported by a lot of Republicans in Congress. And yet Uh he has this enduring base of support. And you see this all over the place. Like you see this with Berlusconi in Italy, right? Whenever you have somebody who has this, as you described it, cult of personality, where Uh these people will support them essentially no matter what they do. Right. You essentially eliminate all of the checks on their decision making. Right. And you you reduce the organization's ability to remove them. And that is mm-hmm. just a dangerous thing. Like even if you're an incredibly good ruler, if you rule for 30 right. or 40 years, that's dangerous. Right. So this guy, I can't pronounce his name. He's fine. Who? The uh, Chinese president. Xi Jinping? Yeah. Like, I hear you Hmm. saying it, and I want to say it, but I don't want to mispronounce it. But, yeah. It's fine. That guy. Like, this is just something that the people are behind. Like, all the Chinese people are like, yeah, this is cool. Go ahead. Well, China's far from a democracy and has never been. I know. It's really hard to gauge what the people think. But I feel like this might be something that they're like, there was people alive still at the time when Mao was Mao in, right? Oh, yeah, Xi Jinping was alive during when Mao was around, yeah. I'd have to imagine that a lot of them had, like, less than positive experiences under his rule that see these things happening, and I feel like there'd be some more vocal opposition, or maybe you'd see some of the people who worked for him trying to dissuade him or remove him. Well, and this is the whole problem with insidious creep or somebody who really knows what they're doing right so i believe if i recall correctly and i might have this wrong but either xi jinping and his family or maybe just xi jinping's father were sent to like 
a labor camp or something during the Cultural Revolution. I'm uh-huh. not sure on that, but I think at least somebody in Xi Jinping's family was really harmed during that. And so you're right. He uh-huh. personally understands the ramifications of this. But right. what I meant by this slow creep is that this has been a thing that no one thought would happen, but has been slowly pushed forward. And this is where you start to see parallels with Trump, I think, to where if Xi Jinping had tried to do this five years ago, when he first came into power, he would not have possibly mm-hmm. been able to do this. But he has gradually right. consolidated his power. He's gradually removed his enemies. He's gradually eliminated dissent. And he's got it to the point where no one can very easily stand against him. Mm-hmm. And this is the most dangerous situation because this is where you get the potential for armed conflict. Because if people stand against him, and when we saw this change go in a few weeks ago, it was an right. interesting series of events because there does seem to have been some pushback and some people who are not fully on board, at least within the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party. But it's really hard uh-huh. to assess because it's so opaque on the inside of that. But he's gradually made this possible. And no one could have objected okay. to this because no one knew that this was going to happen five years ago. Right. But he's gradually, step by step, made it more possible. And you see the same thing, I think, with Trump. Like, it's really interesting to watch as he gradually breaks down barriers, right? And he gradually does things that are more and more right beyond the bounds of what would normally be considered acceptable. And the people that have to check him are the other people of his party who control the Congress, right? Like, the Congress is the check right. on the executive, essentially. If they allow him to do more and more extreme things without consequence, then you start to get to the point where what is acceptable and what is legal stops mattering. Like, for instance, right now there's this huge investigation that Robert Mueller is doing into the Trump administration, right? If he comes back with evidence that Trump did something illegal, it's very unclear Uh that he or the FBI would be able to arrest him. Like, that doesn't seem likely. Right. The only consequence would be if the Congress acted. If he comes back and says Uh Trump did things that are illegal and the Congress still doesn't do anything, well, then now he can do whatever he wants. As long as he doesn't anger them enough that they kick him out, there's nothing really that can be done. And this is something that you see very similarly if you look back at Hitler in World War II, right? Like, I don't think many people appreciate how when he came to power, he was hugely restricted in terms of what he could do. And gradually over the course of three or four years, and eventually he actually had to wait for the president of Germany to die so that this last impediment to him doing insane, heinous things was removed. He gradually removed the rights of Jews. He gradually expanded his rights. He gradually murdered and eliminated opposition. And -hmm. this is the sort of thing that happens over the course of five or six years. It's this creeping progression. Right. Okay. And it becomes more dangerous when you have this cult of personality because then the other people in charge, the other people in power, they can't replace him right. because everyone only cares about him. Like when you look back at China, you look at Mao or when you look at Hitler, he mm-hmm. is the state. If you kill right. him, like you can't just have Goebbels take over. <laughs> like That's not a thing. Right. Like it's not right. possible. There's going to be a huge amount of infighting. You don't have any kind of orderly succession that is possible. And it's the same thing with Trump. Like if they kicked out Trump, yeah, I guess Pence would take over. But, mm-hmm. like, Pence isn't going to be supported by Trump's base. Like, that's not a thing. Right. Things would, I think, fall apart very quickly for yeah. the Republican Party. So what happens if this guy dies in five years? Xi Jinping? Xi Jinping? Yeah. How do you do the X-I sound? She. Like, she. like 
her, she. She. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like so, she is tall. Yeah, she. All right. So Xi Jinping. What happens if this guy dies in I don't know five years, six years after solidifying his power? Does China just fall apart? No. I mean, the same thing that happened with the leaders before him would probably happen, where essentially the Politburo Standing Committee would come together and would decide on the new leader. And the new leader would probably be selected okay. from among them. And then there would be a new leader. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened for the last three or four leaders of China. But what becomes more dangerous is if he doesn't die in five years, if he dies in 20 years, and more extreme things happen, and there's no clear person who's going to take his place. If there's a real conflict, especially uh-huh. because he's arrested so many people, like he's arrested some key supporters of his predecessor in his whole corruption uh-huh. drive. And so if that becomes the norm where he starts arresting anybody who's opposed to him, then you get this thing where if you're in the Communist Party and you're a high up person, you can't let the opposing faction take over. You can't let these people that you're not friends with take over because they'll probably arrest you. They'll probably arrest your family. They'll probably cause all sorts of problems. Like you can't allow that. And so you get Mm -hmm. the possibility of conflict. And that is that that kind of instability, that kind of conflict is, is very dangerous. China has thus far avoided it since Deng Xiaoping. You know, it's it's very unclear. This is uncharted waters. Okay. Yeah. So. Wow. We'll see. Yeah, like a scary thing potentially. Yeah, I think it is. But I but I will say on an optimistic note, in the same way that Trump is highly constrained by both our constitution uh-huh. and our norms and just what people are willing to accept, I think Xi Jinping will be constrained by the fact that now he runs an essentially capitalist country that is integrated right. in the world economy. People will not accept something that makes them poor and hungry again. So if right. he does some really crazy, heinous stuff, uh-huh. he will get so much backlash that it's not going to be accepted. And so I don't oh. think that he will do crazy things because he won't be allowed to do crazy things. Okay. Yeah, when Mao took over, everybody was starving. Everybody was trying to recover from World War II. Everyone was dying and in war right. and everything. And he brought peace and stability. And yeah, he brought a lot of infighting and starvation and death. But uh-huh. people who are already starving and dying in war can accept a lot before they get really, really uh-huh. angry. People that are now right. like in China with iPhones and cars and Teslas and living life well, like they're not going to accept that sort of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I guess that is that is a bright note. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, and it's the same with the U.S. Like we're not going to allow him to do crazy things. Yeah, I mean, I've been following a lot of the like midterm elections. Yeah, and there's a lot of red states and red counties that are voting for Democrats, like in historically non-Democrat friendly areas where maybe someone hasn't been voted in since like the 40s, you know, when Democrats were not the Democrats they are today. Like in Utah. Yeah. Yeah. And so you see it happening a lot through a lot of states. Like I think Arkansas and some other southern states, I can't remember. I want to say it's like Mm. South Carolina or something. And you're just seeing a lot of change. So if Mueller does end up being able to convict them, I'm sure it'll be at a time when Congress will check them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, very likely that Democrats will come up pretty big in the coming midterm elections, even though the stack is somewhat stacked against them because of the gerrymandering mm-hmm. situation since the last census. I think that so much of the population has really been scared by the kind of erratic behavior that Trump has shown that mm-hmm. at a certain point, most people set ideology aside and set what they really believe 
we should do aside and look at it and say, well, you can't have someone who doesn't seem to have a good grasp of reality. And he, he does seem to be somewhat erratic. So I think that a lot of people like me who would not generally go for, uh, you know, a lot of Democrats would uh, right. be more likely to vote that way in the coming election. Like the last election, I don't think people fully understood his detachment from reality, I guess. Right. So I was going to say instability. Yeah. I mean, detachment from reality is one way to put it. That might be too strong, but certainly lack of professionalism at the very least is pretty clear. He, you might be able to accept him being combative with his opponents and, you know, making up nicknames for Hillary Clinton or something like that. But when you right. see him firing people left and right who are supposedly his supporters, who are very respected, uh -huh. high level generals, like that's a hard thing for classical Republicans yeah. to withstand without some questions and so I, I i think that that's very likely to sweep democrats into power in the coming election but that's really neither here nor there whether or not they do i think we as a country are sensible enough and i don't think that there are very many people in the military or in the government and certainly not in the congress who when they see him i don't know try to go to war with germany or something like like i don't think right many people are going to be like sure let's nuke germany like that's not going to happen so i don't think we're right. going to let him do crazy things and i don't think unlike xi jinping who is a bit of a scary figure in certain ways like i don't think trump has a long game of trying to consolidate power and figure out how to be in power for the next 20 years like he's just trying to keep his head above water and so right. i don't think that he is as scary a figure in the long term as he could be oh, i'm slightly nervous about getting so political in this yeah. conversation but i'm not a big supporter of his so i guess it is what it is it is what it is don't judge us. yeah or do we don't care yeah. people people are gonna judge should we wrap this one up yeah we should Right. You can find our show notes at subjectradio.com slash WWOTS slash 017. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash WWOTS. Go on, on over there. Yeah, we're trying to support the show, trying to get it so that it's in a sustainable place. Luckily, our listenership is growing, so thank you guys. But certainly some support on Patreon would be very much appreciated and would make it a little bit easier for us to keep going with what we're doing. So if you like the show, if you appreciate it, feel free to show it over there. Uh, yeah. Anything else, Mike? You guys should just like be nice to each other. Yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah, give us money and be nice to each other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Try not to be angry about our political conversation and be nice to each other. I guess yeah. I will talk to you next week, Mike. All right, yeah. Talk okay, to you then. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.
We're just recording like two friends. We're recording this thing sometimes. I didn't have an ending for that. Recording like friends. There we go.